multi-team or even whole organisational agility, business agility, whatever it is you would like to label it as, has never been easy. And there has been a huge number of frameworks over the years that have come and gone. Some have stood the test of time, others haven't. But all of them, well, let's say all of them, most of them, have had pretty good, strong values at their core. The Less Matters podcast is here for more than just less stuff. This podcast exists to help you get to grips with multiple team agile, to help you get to grips with how to scale, or even just how to be a better agilist and agile leader yourself, to accelerate your performance and the performance of those around you. Here at Less Matters, we are going to be having lots of chats with people that maybe have never even heard of Less before, but have brilliant, informative, valuable things to share with all of us. So, here we go. Without any further ado, let's get on to this week's Less Natter. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Hello and welcome to the Less Matters podcast, another episode with me and Magnus in conversation. We were just talking before I hit record about the really noisy birds in the background, and I know that my friend Sylvie often points out that she can hear birds on the podcast. If you like birds or dislike birds, please let me know. If you dislike them, then I might have to shut the door and suffocate or go out there and somehow buy a bird scarer. I'm sure that my neighbours will love that if I buy a big, loud, banging instrument to scare all the birds away. But do let me know what you think of the bird sounds. It's uh, it's authentic. Much like the conversation I'm going to be having with Magnus. Magnus, welcome back. Thank you. Or the Magnus, <laughs> I should say. The Magnus. Anyone who is interested in where that came from, that's just me being an idiot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> call him Magnus the Magnus, because I've seen the Magnus on this less Slack channel and I'd kind of admired his work and his conversation. And then he came onto a community, less matters community talk and you were there and it was the Magnus, the actual Magnus. So welcome back the Magnus. When we finished last time, we were talking about empathy versus empathy and intellect and how it balances and exploring perhaps how organizations at least some organizations historically haven't really recognized empathy as something which should be rewarded in the traditional sense of the word. And there was something which you mentioned to me when we were discussing what we were going to talk about in these conversations. And you said that people are, maybe I'm misquoting you here, so do correct me, but people are conditioned to be much less than they could be. And the line I wrote down was, what's the potential of our potential? And for me, this felt like a nice connection to what we're talking about, because I don't think that I was ever able to reach my potential. I don't think I was ever even able to understand what my potential was when it came to empathetic understanding or emotional intelligence in an organization because of the way that it operated. Now, Magnus, I would love to hear some of your thoughts on this. Oh, <laughs> there's so many different ways to enter this conversation about empathy 
and and possibilities. Uh, uh, let's try to say that whatever I'm going to say right now, I really try to anchor that in neuroscience. Some of this might seem like you know it's it's a bit of I don't know. <laughs> and I don't, I don't dismiss that, you know, if, if, if you're into spirituality or, or your value systems are such and such, uh, uh, go ahead. For this conversation, though, I kind of think that um, from the biology of how we work as human beings in this brain, uh, uh, some things become apparent that we have kind of forgotten. So neuroscience. There's a guy called Anil Seth. He did a TED talk, and then he says uh, the title is something like "Your brain hallucinates your conscious reality." Ooh. Ooh. Uh, but but what it points to uh, this here, you know, consistent with the work of Kahneman, thinking fast, thinking slow. Uh, the brain is trying to lazily figure out the reality with minimum effort, and so we filter out most of it for good reasons because we would be overwhelmed. So uh, as we go along throughout our lives, we learn things and we automate them because that part of the brain is more energy efficient, right? So we have a prediction machine. And then we try to, we try to, to view the reality. Is it consistent with the prediction? Yeah, then we can use the, it's much less data to that. So... And then we often think, you can call this cognitive biases as well. Many people know cognitive biases. But we often think about an external problem. It so happens that we have a model of, of me, of I, and the same thing applies. It's a model and it's a very helpful one. It helps us navigate and seem like a coherent person, not mentally ill. But it's also true that it's not entirely present and aware and see it as it is, particularly from other people's eyes. How am I doing so far? Is this too abstract? No, no. no, no so if, no. We, if, we, if we recap, were you talking about the reticular activating system earlier? Because we have that small part of our brain, which is the thing that filters out the ordinary stuff. It's that part of that brain which gonna, gonna gets us to work and we don't realize how we've driven there. That's one thing, yeah. Exactly. You drive, and then suddenly you are someplace, and you have no memory of how you got there, but you were able to drive a car with all that yeah. complicated stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Lots of lots of nice learn easy stuff, which we have just imbued in our brain at a certain yeah. mm -hmm. in a certain level where we just don't have to think about it. But if something was to dislodge that, let's say a a bird was to fly in front of the car yeah. Unex unexpectedly, then we would, yeah, we'd, we would stop and we would react. So we're safe in that respect. Perhaps unless we are um, Im <laughs> impaired, like, I don't know, like you've just had a, you've just had a small child out of your life and you haven't slept for three days. Yeah. Perhaps you wouldn't, you wouldn't react uh, as quickly. And you, sh you shouldn't be in a car, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, you no one, like, if your child doesn't sleep for the first three years, like my children didn't, I would never, I, would, I should never have got behind the wheel at that age, when they were that age. And then you were talking about the idea of cognitive bias and how we, I suppose, how, and maybe does this relate to some level of a ladder of inference, how it's our, what we, what our experiences and our beliefs and our values that lead us to only select certain data from what we, from the observable pool. 
and we pick the stuff which means the most to our previous experiences because it's easiest. And it's becoming, it's interesting, isn't it? And what we, and this is what, and I think ladder of influence is a really interesting one. I am by no means an expert on it, but it's it's quite easy to pick up. It's maybe over, I don't know, maybe it isn't popular enough. It's not as popular as say like the, the Tuckman model because it doesn't rhyme. If you can come up with a model that rhymes, people will remember it. That's why yeah. that's my uh, <laughs> that, that's my hypothesis. I mean, a model is a model, and a model has its utility, but it's still a model. And, yeah. and arguably, when it comes to the brain, even though the neuroscientists have learned uh, uh, phenomenal new stuff during, oh, I guess the latest 20 years, there's still a lot of unknowns, but we do know a lot. And unless you have catched up upon that, I think you should. Uh, anyway, so yeah, predictions. So here's the real story. So the Magnus was a really good uh, uh, software engineer. I worked like, you know, every different parts of, of, of uh, the software cycle, as it were, as we did in telecoms, you know, maybe you were a tester and your function tester or even a system tester or a network tester, or maybe you were working like, you know, uh, design phase. And before that, maybe even architecture or feasibility. So I did all of that and I did some different roles as well. Um, anyway. That version of Magnus would never in his life have embraced the thought that one day you will be a manager. I literally could not see that as a possibility. There was what they call a limiting self-belief. And it was not, it was not really a belief. It was a natural, like a, uh, not conviction, it, what, what's the word? It, it it was so true that I didn't even notice that I had the belief. Does it make sense? Like like that car analogy of driving. I was I was driving. It's like having a nose. Like how yeah. often do you become aware of your own nose? Right, you, and unless you like, unless you unless you're looking at yourself in the camera, like we are, you have to go cross-eyed or something, and you're not aware of your own nose. It's there. Everyone else can see it. It's very apparent, but to you, it's you, yeah. you're never aware. And so a manager uh, uh, that, that was my manager, she saw me and, and she saw something. And uh, she sent me to, to a couple of trainings and there was a group exercises and we had some kind of role play. And then I get the feedback that, you know what, these type of difficult conversations, not only are you able to do them, but in fact, you're good at it. So now what happens? Because of something I realized that I can do I'm starting to probe into my identity. And then a couple of years later, I became a manager. And, and there was abilities in my, like my competence in what I know, knew how to do. But it was certainly changing my own identity. Okay? In this same way, this was one of the clearest moments in my life where something shifted. I saw a new opportunity that I didn't see before. I didn't think it was possible for me. And of course, uh, it's, it's, no, it's not the case that, that <laughs> we, be, we can become limitless. You know, I, I will not run a marathon in two hours. It's not going to happen. But I can, I can, I can embrace a mindset. The best athletes... What what shifts their game is is often the mindset, and that's kind of a vague term, but it's a way of seeing that embrace a possibility 
that I think is freer from the prior uh, 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 prediction machine. Now then, empathy, teamwork, modern organizations. You know, if I work and I'm absolutely convinced because I've been there 20 years and now we're doing this thing called Agile, so we, we are supposed to be in teams, I heard. Yeah, but I still think of myself as a, I am a software engineer. Then, then what, what things might occur on your agenda? You know, software engineer, that's the way I measure my, my, my possibilities. That's what I detect and, and choose to put into the possibilities as I, as I uh, live my workday. Now, change that and start to change your identity and say that, you know what? Uh, we we are a team and and we are here to discover how to bring user value, and and we will learn how to do whatever is needed to do that. Of course, that will be different. Yeah, didn't lose you. Here's the thing: uh, you can you can work this both ways. You can work at this identity, and new things will emerge that that will provide you with feedback, or. You do the inspect and adapt. I loved Bas Vadis talk, the last uh, conference. He talked about technical practices. And he pointed to that, actually, you know what? When you do stuff like pair programming, what you actually do is you practice social skills. And when you do that, you will quite literally change your prediction machine and you will see new things in your relation to your fellow team member. Does it make sense, Ben? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. And so I was just looking something up because there, I was reading something about identity a little while ago um, from a book that some, um, some people I know have written, actually, about team coaching. And they say that, um, and that says, they, they describe a, very, a way to kind of, perceive identity and they say that another way of considering how to define the self is through the ser series of stories we tell about our self-identity it's been suggested that these stories along with the role of the unconscious experiences that aren't consciously integrated into our stories define who we are so there's a link between the idea of self and the stories that we tell ourselves and then one of the problems that i've seen uh, it's difficult for people to overcome when they're, say, in a less environment or an agile environment, and they are an experienced developer, software engineer, programmer, however you would like to label that person, and then they are given a management opportunity, is that they they need to start telling themselves a story that they're not just a team member anymore. Because there are expectations. And if they just tell, if they can't get over that story, then the story that everyone else tells about this ma this manager is that they're a bad manager because they can't get out, get out of the weeds. Mm. And whilst there is a value of being in the weeds at times, you have to then have, be able to tell yourself a story so that yourself can evolve into something that the organization better expects. Unless, mm -hmm. of course, you can you know, reach the same levels of the organization that a manager is without, you know, and still be a team member. But that's not what we're talking about, is it? So I think it's in, it's interesting, you know, it's the stories that we tell ourselves. And if you can remember the story of being a software engineer and, and what that was and stay close to it and yet still evolve that story. Yeah. So that, 
the stories that other people tell about you. Yeah. Are the ones and, that and, are going to happen. And, and by the way, I was listening in to you and, and Jurgen talking about technical skills. That's yeah. so important. I love that. I mean, never forget that at work, we are really, we need to be skilled at something. This mm. is not a soft kumbaya and let's inject some agile and then we can just win the world. It's not going to happen. A football team needs to actually know how to play football. But then there's yeah. a difference if we get if you really elevate yourself there's a, there's an interplay between human beings that makes them elevate beyond the average and then they win the series sometimes <laughs> yes sometimes and if they don't they have they have a more meaningful experience than the teams that don't i mean i think football teams that perform well are football teams that train together yeah and they build empathy and understanding and they change the stories about themselves through the interactions with others. And I think you would never expect a, a successful football team to just spend all the time in their garden practicing on their own. You'd expect them to get together in the same space and practice so that they build the understanding of their interplay as well as their emotional connections. Mm-hmm. And the, you look at the English football team, as I understand it, you know, they've got better. Objectively, they have improved. And the manager has spent a long time helping them come together as as comrades, as mm. people with a relationship between each other. And I think that's some what's made the difference. And there was always an idea, I don't know how true this is, I'm not a big you know, football person, but there was one of the problems with the English team is that you had all these premiership superstars who cost all this money and then you put them all together and they're just competing with each other. They've got no reason to get along. They've got a certain story to maintain about themselves being this very expensive expert football player. And when they come together, they just never wanted to give that up. They weren't able to give that up. Mm. And as a consequence, we never we never really achieved the – we never really got the potential of our potential. Exactly. You know, oh, there's a lot of things to unpack here now that we start talking. <laughs> One, there's a, there's one thing. Go on, go on. One thing, uh, uh, and then we'll wrap it up and we'll pick up this thread on the next you episode. You talked about practice, and that's so true. When we change roles, like in an agile adoption or transformation, it needs to be practiced a lot because it doesn't happen instantly. As a football mm-hmm. team, you need to practice. Yes. Oh, it's so annoying because all too often, if it, we just train individuals and individual skills. You know, or we just coach individuals. We think that we'll end up with a, with a strong team. Not the case. Like we need to understand how that, the interplay of skills mm. and the complementary skills. Magnus, why well, we could talk for so much longer. Oh, that's a good thing. Time, it is a good thing. It is a good thing. I've got a feeling that our, our plan for three episodes may may well extend. We'll do maybe we'll end up doing a few more, but we'll bring this one to an end for today. Magnus, if you could summarize this episode in one word what would that one word be possibility possibility this episode will be called possibility there you go magnus thank you very much for your time always a pleasure never a chore please do come back to the less matters podcast next time around where we'll be having magnus on again to explore another question perhaps picking up some of the threads from this one so remember to subscribe come back next time stay safe and we'll see you soon Goodbye. What a brilliant conversation. Do you know what? I really enjoy talking to people, as you can probably tell. So I hope you've enjoyed listening to it too. Now, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, give us your feedback. 
the more attention that we get, the easier it makes it for me to free up the time to record these podcasts and edit them, to add videos onto the YouTube channel for Less Matters community. So please do give us your feedback, share it, like it, love it, give us your suggestions. My name is Ben Maynard. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Less Matters podcast. Until next time, stay safe and we'll see you then.